Welcome to Accounting High. Ultimately, I think if you can boil down how much money do you need to make a year to be happy, how many hours do you want to be working per week, and how much time off do you want to be taking per year. Like if you can kind of satisfy those three things, because most people are making more than they really need to be happy, and they're still chasing for more. And most people are working more than they need to be working, so we need to really optimize for that. And most people aren't taking the time off and disconnecting, and really truly disconnect, so it's optimizing for that. So it's usually not the financial component that we need to improve, but it's the other, the other sides of the equation. May I have your attention, please? If you're listening on the show, hear what GACon can do for you. We're integrating Google Sheets with different accounting software. Xeros, QuickBooks, Sage, FreshBooks. We do two-way synchronization to download raw data, reports, consolidation reports, and do bulk upload. Corey, you want to say a couple words? You're like the student sitting in the front row. One of the key features is not only that two-way sync, for a lot of people, but I think it's just extracting raw data. It's great to have report, and those are super valuable, but where my head went to is like building some of the working papers for the balance sheet. If you can start to pull some transaction level detail or account level detail, or, that can automate a lot of the accounting process that many people just don't like doing. This is a huge, huge unlock. I've been wanting to do things like this forever with access to all the data pieces. You can pull data from one client and another and another and compare them all. And then you can go even further, right? It will be your dashboards. This will be your BI solutions, your presentation layers. And that will give you huge visibility, right, to the client. They don't like to dig in numbers. They want to see it colorful on the graph, your next presentation layer. People use us a lot this way, too. (laughs) (laughs) Secure automated easy two-way sync head explosions going on that's awesome what can our listeners do what can they do to sign up like this is the call to action here they can access us through our website or go to google workspace marketplace type gcon and you will have all our products there install it and go ahead g acon what's the website url we can put that in the notes uh, econ a c c o n dot services okay you guys have a 14-day free trial for yep. anyone that wants to test it out, yep. experiment. That's what yep. I'll be doing it's next. Absolutely free. They don't have to put any credit cards. We just want them to be comfortable and see if it still really works for them. Go and try us out. May I have your attention, please? Welcome to Accounting High. It's freshman year at a brand new school. Here, we have no rules in place as we're on a mission to set our own traditions. So hang tight and learn with us as we grow. At Accounting High, you can expect to gain knowledge in a completely different way than what you may be used to with some fun and oftentimes colorful conversations involving some of the best teachers in the accounting industry. Whether you loved high school or you hated it, here's your chance to be a part of an unforgettable experience redone. While you're here, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening to us right now so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And feel free to leave us a five-star review letting us know how the school year is treating you. In addition, share this episode on social media tagging us at Accounting High. So sit back, relax, and open your mind because class is in session. I repeat. May I have your attention, please? 
This is another public service announcement brought to you in part by Accounting High. The views and events expressed here are of the next generation of accounting and tech professionals leading this space. The events and suggestions are not to be taken lightly. Children should not partake in the listening of this podcast. Anything else? Yeah. So without further ado, introducing the star of our show, Scotty and Ryan Lazanis. We're going to have a problem here. Dope. Ryan is on. Fresh off of the heels of a Final Four appearance in the Accounting High ABC tournament. That's right. Ryan, do you have any comments to say after your performance at the Final Four? I think we need a recount. We need a recount. <laughs> this was the be- I mean, for any for our listeners, I got destroyed it. in that last round there. For for anybody that hasn't been paying attention or doesn't know, this was an epic Final Four. This was nothing I could have planned. Nothing that was like. I didn't know what was coming here when both you and Jason Stats beat both of Blake's juggernauts. You knocked out Earmark out of the Elite Eight. Stats knocked out Cloud Accounting Podcast. And then you guys were up against each other, and I kept hearing this Lazanus Files, Lazanus Files. And I hear you're a co collaborator a little bit with that. Tell me your perspective on this. I mean, look, when it comes to social media, stats just destroys me, you know? So I think that's where maybe he, he overtook. I thought maybe I had the edge on the newsletter side of things, but he came up with this Lazanus files, which was like hilarious. I don't know how long it took him to come up with that. He's like, yeah, you, you know, I'm going to come up with something. Like, I want you to be okay with it first before I release it. Like, you could review it first. I was like, all right, like, what is in this? You know, I don't know what the heck it was, but when he showed it to me, like, yeah, for sure, go for it. Like, release. He's like, yeah, I'll release that, and then you could release something the next day. I'm like, honestly, there's no way I'm going to be putting in that much effort to, like, do what you did. But I don't know if that was what did it or not, but I think it got some good traction. And look, I'm a very, very competitive person, so probably even too competitive, but, but I had a good time along the way with this little tourney that you set up, and I almost didn't make it in initially. <laughs> you were traveling, yeah, so you barely made it in because during the nomination phase, when I, I, you were one of the first people I reached out to when I had this idea for the tournament because I've seen you do similar things or I just, I just know you're, where your head's at as, as far as this stuff goes. I know you're competitive, and I, I know you'd like something like this, so I wanted to get your ear, and you were just leaving for Indonesia? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. You made it in securely. You didn't have a very high seed, but you once you got back from Indonesia, that's when things started to really like take shape for you. And I guess you started sharing it on LinkedIn and then your newsletter, and then you just started blowing people out of the water after that. Yeah, and like I didn't almost didn't make it in. Then you 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 messaged me, you texted me, and and like I was in a phase. I was like doing like an email cleanse. Let's call it. I was doing like two weeks not checking my email once and maybe that's impressive for some and not impressive for others but like i do check my email pretty frequently it's not something i'm super happy about but i'm like okay i'm gonna go i was away in indonesia for like almost two months i was working there for a lot of the time but like two weeks was just like okay this is gonna be pure vacation mode and i didn't check my email once and I didn't do anything work-related once. I didn't even think about work. I didn't do anything. And I turned off all my notifications except for my texts. 
and you came and you're just like, Hey, we got like, I need this by tomorrow. I was like very close to like not even doing anything. I'm like, you know what? As long as I don't have to open my email, I think I recorded a little selfie video and like, that was it. I might've posted something on LinkedIn, actually. I most my, but that was the only thing I did. So yeah. I think that's, that's what got you in. It. Yeah. But this is a really good segue because you're talking about taking an email detox. I want to, today I wanted to talk about purpose, mental health, burnout, and these kind of things and taking the steps to have a more sustainable business or sustainable firm or sustainable life. You know, I think a lot of people are starting to feel that burnout. You and I were just talking about that before we started recording. Tell me what, had you taken an email detox like this before? Because I know you're heavy in email. You're, you, you have a huge email list. And I, I, when I look in my email box, I get emails from you at least three times a day. So <laughs> I don't know about that often, but <laughs> maybe some days, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying like, it, and I actually have been on a two-year email detox. I'm actually trying to get back into it now and it's hard because I've been out of it for so long. But tell me what got you like to say, I'm going to go on a trip and not check my email because that's a pretty big step. Was this the first time you did that? I've done it before, like a week here and there. I don't know if I've ever done two weeks where I just like would not open my email, but I've done it like a week. And like, honestly, it's like, it feels like, it feels like I'm in, in, in detox from a drug, truthfully. Sure. Like it's not healthy. It, it, it doesn't feel good. It, it's, you know, like the way we're like hyper connected, it's like, it's only going to intensify really uh, the way technology is evolving, but it's just not, it's not good for us. I don't think, you know, so, you know, so I think we have to like inject that into our, we have to do this. I, I think it's, I think it's good for you to just be able to disconnect like that. And I try to make it a point to disconnect like that, like several times per year. But I think two weeks is the most I've actually not checked an email. Yeah, it's impressive that you did that. And I'm sure you started to feel different after the first few days. It's withdrawal. It's like a drug, really. Like yeah. it, Whether it's email or whether it's something else on the phone, it could be the social networks. It could be something that people are getting that dopamine hit from. And wh- when you start to intentionally disconnect, disconnect from that and it happened for me when i went when i go to mexico and i have no choice usually because we don't have internet there where i go and sometimes we do it's really really spotty but i did it not by choice several years back you know maybe three or four five years back and then i would need to go into another town just to check things just to check in on the office this was before i took my extra long detox but after the first few days you start to realize that there is nothing that you're really needed urgently for. You feel like everything's urgent. You feel like you want to respond to that person that reached out to you, or you feel like you need to check your messages or you need, you know, it's, but I think that's also an artificial feeling that we get because of how connected we are. This is another limb for us, the phone and, and even Mm -hmm. the laptops, people travel with them and we're, we're always connected. We're always on. And I think that's, you know, that's obviously what's causing a lot of this burnout. People don't really have separation. And then during COVID, when people weren't, didn't have an office to go to, or a lot of people were working from home, there really wasn't a separation. Like if you're working from home and you're at home all day, how do you separate? You know, you've been doing this for a while. You've been working out of, out of your house for as long as, as I've known you and probably as long as you've even had the firm. So we can talk about creating that separation between you and your 
work life. I don't know. I don't, I don't like the word balance, but there is something there. There's, there is a way to find that, you know, happy medium where you don't feel burnt out. I'm experiencing it now and I'm not even working in my firm anymore. I got burnt out during the tournament. During this tournament, I worked more than I did during tax season, and it was just purely fun for me. It wasn't like the tournament brought any money in or anything like that. It wasn't like the kind of work, but I found myself spending a ton of time just doing that during tax season, just as much time as I would have doing taxes. Uh-huh. And I already had already gotten out of that. So I'm somebody that can't even escape it <laughs> regardless. I probably should take some tips and some advice because... I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm at as far as like, I'm either on 100 or off. Yeah. And when I'm on, that's all I'm doing right now. All I do is work on raps. I'm at home, you know, families were out of they're They're out of school today. This is Memorial day in the U S I know we don't, you don't have that up in, in your neck of the woods. We're sitting here recording. I've been recording a rap all day. It's true. eh? It is. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really turn it off though. I mean, this is, that's just how I've always been when I had the firm and when I didn't. So I think people think that there's some, other side of this, like once they get out of this burnout or this phase where they're working too much, if there's a greener pastures on the other side, I'm not seeing it because I create this reality. I create the work and I find things that I need to be doing. Otherwise, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what my purpose was. Last time when we talked last year, I, it wasn't as, as crazy. I had too much free time and I was worried about like... I was just bored. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about finding some kind of healthy medium there. Mm-hmm. You seem to be pretty happy with your balance. I don't know. I am. I mean, it could always be better, but I think like I've designed the business around, like I know my personality already. My personality is like a hyper competitive person that just, you know, I, I just, if I lose, if I lose perspective of what's actually important, I'll just want to like, you know, I want to take this business into like the biggest thing ever, but then I have to like, you know, there's always a balance, right? When I started this business, it was all about like flexibility, lifestyle, being able to travel, being able to disconnect, not being tied down to a computer. And I like what I do. I I like the challenge of it. I like, you know, the fulfillment I get from helping other people, helping other firms could quickly become just a numbers game. Uh, you know, like since I started like this membership, this online coaching program, Future from Accelerate, we have like over 700 active members from around the world. So it's like performed quite well and pretty happy with how the business performs. But, you know, it's a natural instinct to want to just like get more and more members. But I have to like kind of like, like focus on like, have my eyes on the prize, which is like my family, my lifestyle, being able to like, disconnect, take vacation, you know, spend time on my hobbies. Like that's, that's why we, sure, we, we start a business or we, we run a business with the intention of, you know, we want to help people, we want to make money, but there's this whole other part of it that we often neglect, which is like the freedom aspect. So that's mm-hmm. what I always have to like rein things in and, 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 and have my focus on the eyes on the prize really. So a lot of a lot of people talk about trying to find the freedom to do the things that they want to do, to spend more time and have more impact. And that's what I found. Like, like I had just said, I had the freedom to do the things I wanted to do. And I'm doing the things that I've always wanted to do my whole life right now. And I'm passionate about it. I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it. And I'm consumed by it at the same time. And I felt like the freedom that I had is now gone because of my own 
ambitions and I'm a slave to that mm-hmm. or I'm a um, that's more controlling my decisions. And and maybe maybe it's one thing that you said that really stuck to me was perspective of what's important and yeah. having that perspective because it's an endless chase too. Correct. I mean, you have 700 now, you want to get to a thousand, I'm sure. When you get Correct. to a thousand, what is it? <laughs> like what, what happens next after that, right? I mean, ultimately, I think if you can boil down to the absolute basics, you know, it's just, you know, having, having an idea of like how much money do you need to make a year to be happy? How many hours do you want to be working per week? And how much time off do you want to be taking per year? Like if you can kind of satisfy those three things and like, you know, you're, you're going to go through roller coasters with the business. You're going to go through ups and downs. But as long as you're staying true to those those three things, I, I think like, you know, that's what it comes down to is just having perspective on those those three things. How much money like because most people are making more than they really need to be happy and they're still chasing for more. And, you know, most people are working more than they need to be working uh, or than they want to be working. So we need to really optimize for that. And most people aren't taking the time off and disconnecting the, the, the time off that they need to take per year and really truly disconnect. So it's optimizing for that. So it's usually not the financial component that we need to improve, but it's the other, the other sides of the equation. Uh, I, in a recent presentation, and like, you know, I talk about this study by the Harvard Business Review called, uh, what is it, Time, Money, and Happiness, something like that. And after your basic needs are met, which is defined as around $100,000 in North America, more income does not equal more happiness. You know, so it's really about the time aspect of things. So like, that's what I'm interested in optimizing my life around. And that's what I'm interested in helping students of our future from Accelerate community improve their business for. So... I love that. We've talked about time, money, and happiness for years now. I think since we had, what was it, Brandon, not, Brand, Brandon, uh, what was it, Brandon Poe. Brandon Poe came yeah. on and he talked about yeah. the metrics that he always tracks and it always comes down to time, money, and happiness. Mm-hmm. Were those, what were the three things again? You said perspective on those three things. Are those um, the three? How much money you want to make per year like, and how much money do you actually need to be happy? You know, like if you say, how much money do you want to make per year? Someone's going to say, oh, I want $2 million per year, whatever it is. But if you say, how much money do you want to make per year? How much money do you need per year to actually be happy? Usually we get, you know, a a much different answer. So how much money do you need per year to actually be happy? How many hours do you want to be working per week? And how much time do you want to be taking off per year? Defined as like truly disconnecting, like not like taking your laptop with you or checking your emails every two hours you know, so like if we could, if we can get clear on those three things and then build our business around that, I think that's when we give ourselves a much better opportunity to be happier. And those are outcomes. Yep. So those are tracking outcomes and those are things that you can get specific on and mm-hmm. you could really look at, and, and this is an elusive thing. So let's go into how much money you need to be happy. Mm-hmm. Well, first happiness, it's the pursuit of happiness, right? I don't think that yep. you ever reached it because once you yep. feel like you've reached it, then it's elusive. It, it just disappears again, mm-hmm. right? This has been happening to me a lot, you know, and, and I'm going through these waves of emotions all the time now because I'm, I don't know, be, I think because I'm too free and I have too much freedom now. And I'm, I, it's, I'm trying to figure this out. Like how much money you need to be happy. I don't know what the answer to that is. I think I'm past that. I'm making enough with Probably. my firm. 
and I am happy there when I think about it, but then I make myself miserable sometimes too, because mm -hmm. I'm, um, my expectations are so high for what I want to do and for the other things. Mm -hmm. So what are some tips or some ways that people can try to figure out what that answer is for the money side of things? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I haven't actually had anyone ask me that question before. Normally when I ask that question, I get a pretty concrete answer. So I guess you're a unique person, Scott. Because <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I want an extra million dollars a year yeah. just to spend and, and be frivolous with money because I'm also so cheap. Like I don't spend a lot of money. I like yeah. to make it, but I don't spend yeah. it. So yeah. I'm trying to get better with that. And maybe, maybe that is an easier one for most people to figure out. I think for me, I'm just also figuring out like my, you know, after going on this expensicon, this extravagant trip, now my taste level for vacations and trips yeah. have ju has just elevated to like the best possible like this was amazing for anybody who hasn't heard it, it i mean expensive i took over 100 accountants to italy at this resort which was a village that they rented out basically the resort was an old village in italy in the boot area of italy it was incredible build the music video so stay tuned for that anybody that's listening i got the expensify super app music video coming out soon all right, looking forward to it. But but I think like what I'm trying to do with that question is just give people some perspective about like like normally what I'm hearing back from people is like, "Oh, I want 200 grand a year. I need 200 grand a year to be happy." 400 grand, but I'm not hearing like 10 million dollars a year. So I'm just sure. trying to put people on like a certain spectrum and like visualize what they want their life to look like in an ideal world like given some of the other variables I mentioned about like free time and hours worked per week. And like I did a presentation just last week on called The Systematic Firm, Six Steps to More Life and Less Stress. And the beginning of that presentation is really about like, you know, visualize your ideal life three years from now. Like what's your idea of happiness? And like, let's future pace. And I, I put like a little, a little Excel table on, on, on one of the slides that said like, where are you now? How much money are you making per year? How many, how many, how much hours are you working per week and how much time are you taking off per year to truly disconnect? And then where do you want to be three years from now? What's your idea? What does happiness look like for you in those three categories? I go to the next slide. It's, does it include like this huge mansion? And it's like a picture of like one of the most expensive mansions in the U.S. Does it include, next slide, does it include like a fancy collection of cars? It's just like a picture of someone's garage with like Lamborghinis and stuff like that. Does it include your own private island? It's like a picture of a beautiful private island. Or does it include more family time? And it's just like a picture of like me with my kid and my wife. Or does awesome. it include like more like vac vacation time? And it's me like traveling in the desert, like truly disconnected from everything. Does it include more time for hobbies? It was me like training for a triathlon. And then I did a polling question. I polled like, you know, the audience, 150 people that were tuning in. And like, what's your idea of happiness? Does it include like the ability to earn as much income as possible? I forget exactly how I worded it. Or does it include, you know, a business that gives you a lifestyle that just allows you for more free time? And 85% of, of attendees said number two. You know, so I think we're, none of us, I mean, I'm not going to say none of us, but most of us are not looking for that massive empire. Some are, and that's fine, but a lot of us are just looking for that freedom, that flexibility, that low stress lifestyle, a great business that gives us the income we need to be happy. 
So that's kind of, you know, that's what's been on my mind and that's how I'm looking to help others. And, you know, that's what I'm looking to do for myself as well. I love that. And, and that's all within reach too. Those things yeah. can happen within Absolutely. three years. I mean, unless you want the private island and you want the mansion, that may not be within reach within three years. Mm-hmm. But then that allows you some perspective for that. And I think for those types, you may be miserable your whole life because once you get the mansion and your private island, you're going to want more. You're going to want the other mansion, yeah. the other coast and the other private island and the other waters that are clear. You know, I, I think that's a yeah. never ending um, pursuit. It's but, about creating something we f- that makes us feel good, you know, and if you could have the private island, if you could have those fancy collection of fancy cars, that massive mansion, but you feel crappy. Yeah. You know, then who cares? Yeah. I got to say, too, that there was a there was somebody in Italy that owned 88 of those cars, like Lamborghinis and and classic Italian cars. Yeah. That expensive. I let everybody drive to one of the events. It was incredible. I didn't get to talk to this guy, but I want to see if he's happy. You know, that's that's the kind of thing. Yeah, he might be. (laughs) Yeah. So. Talking about the the next the other two on these like the three things are getting perspective on those they both have to do with time. Mm-hmm. First one is money, and the other two are time. And, and I like yeah. this time, money, and happiness. So hours worked per week. We talk about time a lot in the profession. You know, Ron, it's, we're, we're done with time. Time's up. We're talking about subscriptions now. But w- how about this? How do people figure that? Maybe out not. Too? Time's up. We can maybe talk not, about that. Maybe after. time isn't up, right? Well, because. There's some interesting things going on. We'll talk about that maybe later. Oh, good. Okay. Could yeah, be, yeah. I talked about a resurgence of the billable hour. Ooh. A possible resurgence. I'm Ooh. really just speculating. Ooh, yeah. I, would, I would like to talk about that too. We need to get our principal on here because our, our principal of Accounting High is not going to like to hear that. Well, I've been against the hourly, the hourly uh, billable hour for a long time as well. But yeah, we could talk about that after if we have time. But tracking your time or, or eyeing that, like, what is the ideal? We always, we, we all grew up thinking you had a 40 hour work week and then you got Tim Ferriss telling everybody you got a four hour work week. Like I got to the point where I did have pretty much a four hour work week or less with the firm. And then I flipped it and turned it into an 80 hour work week with this yeah. podcast and with my raps. I'm yeah. working just as much or more as I was when I had the firm. So I don't have any chill in there. I don't have any balance. I'm just all in or I'm doing nothing and I'm bored. So I, I don't know how to answer that one either. Like I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not there to tell anyone what that should be, right? Because right. I'd say most people want between 30 and 40 hours. Most people are happy to do that because they get some fulfillment out of you know the things they like doing in their business. There's a lot of stuff that they don't like doing in their business and they want to cut that out. But if they can cut that out and work 30 to 40 hours a week on the stuff that they enjoy doing, they'd be happy to do that. So you know, most people are like at least that we're coaching in our program are looking for somewhere along those lines. Some people are looking for 20 hours a week. Some people are happy working 60, 70 hours a week. So we're not there to kind of dictate what that should be, but like everyone has their own sort of idea of what they want to be doing with their time. Now it's the summer. I want to be golfing more. I want to be, you know, I'm, I got into triathlon last year and now like I got more serious about it this year. So there's a lot of training hours. Mm -hmm. So for me, like, my business has to revolve around those sorts of things. So I, I don't want to be working the 50 or 60 hour weeks. You know, I want to be working more of the 30, 35 hour per week kind of thing. So it, it depends on what you want to be doing with your time. It sounds like 
our listeners, and it sounds like the people you're talking to, should look at the desired future state being better than their current state, right? Sure. And if it is that they want to work less, then what are they doing now? And how do they get that down and identify what that is? It sounds like mm-hmm. that's what I'm what, what I'm hearing. The same thing with the with the money thing. If they're not happy with what they're making and they want to make more, you just need to figure out what those numbers are. And also the time off too. Timing off per year, right. vacations. Right. What do you want to achieve and what's realistic? And then setting that as the outcomes to track to make sure that you're hitting that too and, and holding yourself accountable. What do you suggest as far as people tracking that or, or holding themselves accountable to that three-year plan? I, I guess like I'm, I just want people to visualize it and buy into that, okay. right? Like visualize what that is for you. And like, and then once you have some clarity there, like every action and decision you make in your business should be consistent with that. Mm-hmm. Right? So like if you told me, Scott, that you wanted like the 20-hour work week, and I don't know, like you want, but, but you love what you're doing and you want to be writing raps like 80, 80, 80 hours a week. Like, you know, obviously that's not consistent. So the decisions and actions that you make are not going to be consistent with what you visual, visualize. So something has to change there. Yeah. You know, so I just want people to visualize, write that down. And then everything you do in your business needs to be consistent with that. Yeah. And doing the higher leverage things too. I know, um, Jason Stats talks about that a lot. Getting yourself out of the things mm-hmm. that you probably shouldn't be doing and start yeah. working on the higher leverage things to get you there to that future state. Is there any examples of things, you know, I, I know you also like to talk about, you're talking about humanizing the firms now and relationships. And that's what Ron talks about a lot too. I think that that's very important now with automations and AI that people figure out those systems. So you used to talk about scale scaling mm-hmm. you know you you got your firm from scale to sale or what did what did you used to say i don't know if you still say scratch it. the sale scratch the sale yeah or scratch the scale scratch the sale define and you defined scale for me last time but at accounting salon this year enrico palmarino from botkeeper also defined it in a slightly different but very interesting way he claimed most firm owners are in no man's land right mm-hmm. now he claimed there's two ideal states for firms, either solopreneur, solo person that's happy doing everything and they stay like that, or somebody who has scaled where they are not necessarily needed in the business and the business can run without them. Anybody else with the firm is somewhat in a no man's land because they haven't done that yet. They have employees or they're growing and they have this, but they're tied to the business and they're attached to it. So he said, if you're not scaled and you're not a solopreneur, you're in no man's land. And he said, scale is a business that can work without you in all aspects of it. You mm-hmm. can take six months off. And so by that definition, I realized I have scaled my business, my, my firm at least. I have not scaled all this other stuff. I don't think I could ever scale the rap stuff. Maybe I can with AI. AI helped me write this last one, but we can <laughs> get into that. I don't know. So there's, there's this, what do you think of his definition there with the whole, you're either a solopreneur or you've scaled? The solopreneur is a tough one. I mean, we have a cap ultimately, right? We have a cap on the solopreneur that I think every solopreneur could use. So- there's, there, I'm not going to find, I don't think you're going to find one solopreneur that's happy doing 100% of everything they do, right? So like, you know, even if you get like a virtual assistant or some part-time help or, you know, some fractional help from, I don't know, but 
There's some stuff you could offload, I'm sure of it, that's going to make your life better. Sure, admin time. And Enrico's definition of scale is not too different because it's not that much of a leap from what I'm you know, teaching inside Future Firm Accelerate at the moment because ultimately I'm looking to help a firm systematize. So if we can systematize the firm, it's going to run smoother. You're going to be able to reclaim more of your time, have more freedom, but also give yourself the opportunity to scale as well and 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 grow the firm without sacrificing more and more of your time. So I just want people to have more perspective on like how big they actually want to take their firm because most are just like caught up on in in the in, in like the the most are just caught up in like acquiring more and more clients, more and more team members and just kind of losing track of like what's actually important. So I just want to like reshift the focus towards like what do you actually want in your life and is making your firm, you know, that big actually going to, you know, help you get to where you want to go. For sure. And it's, again, it's people pausing to take that and gain the perspective and be more intentional with the next steps that they make. And it it does require you to stop and reevaluate everything that you're doing because otherwise you're stuck in that hamster wheel and you're continuing to just churn turn churn and and you're always moving in this you know you're moving really fast but you're not moving forward you're just Correct. moving in this you know you're, you're staying in place you could keep adding employees you could keep adding revenue but you may not even be making anymore you may be making less in some cases too mm-hmm. and so that's an endless pursuit of what you know eventually i can sell it for more if the revenue's higher but that's not always the case either correct so that's really cool yeah and figuring out ways to systematize Obviously, Future Firm Accelerate is a great way to learn a lot of those systems. What are some examples of things that people can do to start getting there, to start getting to where their firm is systematized? What's the first thing that you suggest they look at? The first thing is always the productization of what you do and making sure it's priced appropriately. It's very hard to it's very hard to grow a professional services business without getting yourself like too stuck in it. You know, like it's actually easy to grow a firm because there's so much demand. The hard part is how do you grow it without like sacrificing your personal life? So, you know, one of the issues with with firms is that they just accept a very broad client base with a very broad set of needs. And that sets us up from the get go to like lack standardization, which means it's going to be very hard to systematize the business. So if, if we have to service a million different clients a million different ways, there's no way you're going to you're going to standardize that firm. You're no way there's no way you're going to systematize it. And at a certain point, you know, it's just going to require a lot of hours to keep everything under control. So, the first step for me if we really want to systematize a firm so that we have we give ourselves the opportunity to have a lot more freedom and set us our, ourselves up to scale to the to the to the extent that we desire, we have to standardize what we offer our clients. We have to standardize what we offer our clients. So we really have to narrow our focus more within our sweet spot. Not with, not like a lot of firms are just offering what they're technically competent of providing, but a lot of it is outside of their sweet spot. So we have to focus on what is our sweet spot? What are we very good at doing? And how can we standardize our offers into like gold, silver, bronze packages? Sure. And if we have all of our clients on those packages and we've, we just accept clients onto those packages, We've really set up the foundation for us to systematize the operation. So it really all starts there and making sure that we price that work appropriately. 
because most firms are just not charging enough. They don't understand the strategies to actually increase their pricing. And um, it sets themselves up to be spread too thin because they're doing too much for too little and not collecting the adequate margin to be able to bring on top tier resources to then remove bottlenecks later down the road. So that's really the first step is the packaging and pricing aspect of things. Like who cares about marketing and bringing in more clients if you haven't figured that component out as an example? Sure. I love that. Yeah. So what's next after those two? So the next thing is once we've standardized our offers, standardized like what we offer our clients, making sure we're pricing them appropriately, next step is we need to have some deal flow coming through. Because we do have to fund our lifestyle. We do want to, most people do want to grow a firm. So we have to have some deals coming through. So we need to be closing one to five high quality deals per month. So we have to have some tactics to be able to close the, to bring the leads in and close them. So that's really marketing and a sales process. It's, it's marketing. It's marketing and yeah, it's mostly marketing, making sure we're bringing those deals in and closing those deals. So yeah, we, we need to, uh, th- that would be step number two. There's no real silver bullet for marketing either. A lot of people do things differently. There's no silver um, bullet. There's a lot of complicated marketing strategies. There's some easy marketing strategies as well. Most people are just focused on like the most complicated strategies and building up an audience. And like, there's a lot of like really interesting marketing ideas out there, but they're just, they're just very complicated and take a very long time. So, you know, I help, I help firms look at some of the quick wins that they can leverage mostly through email marketing. That's my favorite channel. Yeah. As we, as we talk about detoxing from email, we also, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I mean, email is, I always used to say, and I still kind of do, email is going to be the death of me because we get, we are bombarded with marketing emails. We're, oh, I mean, I just set up a new email address for Accounting High earlier this year, and I already get too many marketing emails. I don't know even know how anybody got my email address because I didn't really even give it out to anybody. I'm already getting There's a lot of junk emails. out there. Lots There's a lot of junk. of junk, and the trick is how can we add value to the email in a way that people will want to receive the email. Ah, so that's something that I've heard that you do very well and that I've seen you do as well. Is a lot of times you'll start out with a story or you'll start out with a problem and you'll define what it is and then you'll, you'll have a solution to that problem or you'll offer some kind of tip or a takeaway. And so that's why your emails are read and I think that's the value that you're adding. Where, where do you suggest the sales pitch comes in or does it come in on every one of those emails or do you just have some that are just content? I'd say for the first three years of Future Firm, there was no sales pitch, which may or may, that probably wasn't the correct thing to do, but like I just led with value and I still lead with value. I make the email so that people want to receive the email because there's something valuable. Like I have, I used to do, well, I still do. I've done a Tuesday newsletter for the last five years. I haven't missed one yet. 7.40 a.m. Eastern time, every single Tuesday, there's an email goes out to our, my readers. And that f- newsletter format is just like curating content. It's like, here's the five things that I found this week that I think would be helpful for your firm. And it's like 400 words. And you know, here's like why I think it's important. So people really like that. Then I added maybe about a year ago, year and a half ago, a Sunday newsletter, Sunday, 8 a.m. And what that is, it's a hundred word email, which is just like, here's a template for you. 
here's a template to help you in your business, or here's a process you can implement, or here's something swipeable that you can immediately use and see results in your business. So these two emails, they're not promoting anything at all. It's just, here's something helpful for you in your business. People want those emails. Then once a month, there's going to be some kind of promotion for Future from Accelerate. People will, some people will sign up. Most people won't, but they'll want to continue receiving my other emails. So yeah, there is some promotion that goes on these days. A lot of people say, yeah, Ryan, we got a lot of emails from you, but most of those emails contain stuff that's so valuable that they'll continue to want me in their inbox. Do you have multiple channels where somebody can unsubscribe to one or is it just all or none? I used to. I used to have that and then we just discontinued that the other day because everybody, there was, there was no one saying, oh, I just want the Tuesday one or I just want the Sunday one. So now it's just, you either get the Tuesday and the Sunday or none at all. Okay. Actually, we, have, we also have something which most people don't do is if you like receiving my Tuesday and Sunday newsletters but don't want to get any promotions about or promotional e- emails <clears throat> excuse me about future from accelerate we give that option actually oh cool yeah i mean i don't even know if that's if that's even a big deal too because you're saying you're doing it just once a month like that's it's not even that much several emails in that once a month campaign oh there's there's multiple it ones that's like why it felt like i was getting emails. four or five a day <laughs> there's no four or five a day we make sure at most, some days, there might be two emails, but we try to, we try to stay off of that. Try not to stack yeah. it up, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just I'm exaggerating, too. Maybe I, you're just behind on your email, Scott. I don't want to see what Dude, what, I got over 10,000 emails like. in my box. You don't want to see it, no. <laughs> I definitely do not want to see yeah, it. I'm, I'm, I'm late on It's a mess, and that's because I tried to get out of it, and I think I prematurely did that. Although, this is all part of me gaining perspective on everything. So, the, you know, we'll... We touched on it a little bit. Well, actually, yeah. What's what's the what's the third step? Is there is there steps? How many steps? To six the, steps. Six steps. Oh yep. wow. What's our, what's step our third three step? is implementing capacity planning. So bef- before you actually go out and make your next hire, bef- like let's say you know what we've done is we've established you know earlier on in this episode how many hours you want to work per week, right? If you want to work thirty hours per week, we have to plan for that. It's not just going to mystically happen on its own. So we need to actually engage in capacity planning. We have to plan for our most scarcest resource, which is our time. When I ran my firm for half a decade, I never had a timesheet even once. No timesheets. But we forecasted time. And we knew when we were going to be overloaded. And we knew like, every, like we knew people didn't want to work overtime and didn't want to work nights or weekends, even in the busy season. So we, and we didn't because we were able to plan our capacity thanks to capacity uh, planning reporting. You're projecting so, it, yeah. We're, so we're projecting time, time forecast and comparing it to our available capacity. Okay, I like that. And that doesn't require you necessarily tracking it, but I, it might, like in, a, in our case at our firm, in order to forecast it, we did need to do a little bit of tracking to know how long things took in order to properly forecast it. Cause we, we had no idea. We had, we never tracked time for 10 years. So we never had any idea of how long anything took. You could, I mean, ultimately it's a forecast like anything else. I ran capacity planning without any time tracking at all. So it was really just out of your head and estimate, estimate the time. I mean, it's, it's not going to be like super precise. Even if you're engaged in time tracking, it's not going to be super precise for a variety of different reasons. 
but like if you do something enough times, you have a general idea of how long something's going to take. Like we're not looking to come away with like the most super precise capacity plan ever. You know, we're looking to come, we're looking to put something in place that gives us a general idea of where, where things are at now and what they're going to look like in the future. And no forecast is ever super precise. And I think that's what accountants tend to, that's our weakness is we want things to be right. We're so used to looking up and looking back at the right answer that it is hard for us sometimes to forecast things because of the inaccuracies involved in that. That's great. But looking at a forecast for the capacity, what's our our fourth forecast? What's our fourth step? Then we have to put a team of A players in place. And I'm not here to tell anyone to, that they need a hundred persons, hundred people working at the firm. It could just be one person. It could be just one part-time person, just a virtual assistant, whatever. But we need someone that's going to, you know, remove some of the bottlenecks at the business. Generally, the firm owner is the bottleneck. They're doing everything. They're doing the sales, the marketing. They're doing, you know, the management of the team. They're doing quality control. They're doing uh, dealing. They're dealing with clients. They're doing everything. At a certain point, that just gonna it's gonna break. You know, so that bottleneck, like we need to, we need to remove that bottleneck. It's going to happen with people. So we have to put the right people in place. We need to make sure we have high quality talent that we're attracting and retaining. Varsity team at Accounting High. There you go. That's what, that's what we put together here. The A players on our varsity team. And you got to define what your positions are in that team. Get the right people in the right seats. Some people may be on the bench. Some people may need to be cut. Absolutely. What's the fifth? Fifth is putting in place easy to follow processes. So there's one way to do everything in the firm. Most very busy firm owners are coming to me and they're looking at that as their step one. They're saying, I'm really busy. I'm overwhelmed. I need better processes. I need better technology. I need more automation. This is actually only step, step five because we need the foundation to be fixed first. Yeah. You can't go and, straight to that. Now, correct. Now, drawing the, you're talking about systematizing, and I always hear systems and processes together and, and describe the same way. Can you describe the difference between those two? I don't know if I have a precise definition, to be honest with you, but I, I think like what I'm going over right now is a system to systematize your firm. And then the processes are like the step by step of how do you actually do things, how to actually perform a task. So for, when it comes to easy to follow processes, it's like you have a sales process, you have administrative processes, you have service delivery processes. All of these are part of the system to know how we get from point A to point B to complete something. So we need to document all that, you know, understand the most efficient way to get from point A to point B, you know, update our standard operating procedures. So it's about putting standard operating procedures in place that are well understood so that there's one way to do everything in the firm. Yeah. There's a lot of tools that can help you do that. And SOPs was the system, you know, the standard operating procedures. That's something that we did a long time ago as we were building this, the um, foundation. And a lot of that came from EOS. And I think a lot, there's a lot of parallels and similarities between these two or just mm-hmm. between what you're, what you're discussing too. What's the final step? The final step is making sure you have a plan of attack, a strategic plan, a roadmap to get from where you are now to where you want to be. And... Essentially, we want to make sure that every action and decision that you take in your business is going to be consistent with your ideal life. 
So it's making sure we, we have a plan that keeps our eyes on the prize, reduces the reduces shiny object syndrome. So we're not wasting time on activities that are just not going to move the needle. I love that. Yeah. And that roadmap can serve as, and that should be regularly or not regularly, maybe like how often should you go revisit that quarterly? Quarterly. Okay. So that's sort of like the um, setting the outcomes to track and sort of like if we're going to use EOS tools, that quarterly pulse meeting that you use to make sure that you define what those rocks are to get you where you need to be. Absolutely. And then breaking that down. That's awesome. And I think a lot of these things are ways to reduce that mental stress and the burnout that a lot of people are having because if you don't have any a system for your firm, if you don't have any of these things in place, it's impossible to gain perspective and it's impossible to determine what you should be doing and where your best where's your best seat. So for the owner, and you work with a lot of different owners, do you find a trend of owners leaning toward types like when we talk about EOS, I'm going to keep using those phrases like a, a visionary or an integrator. Do you ever have them try to decide what their ideal seat is in the firm or where they should I mean, be sitting? 99% of the time, it's not even a question. It's they're the visionary. Sure. They, do you, I think you're an integrator. You seem like Absolutely one. Are you, not. You're not an integrator. No. Interesting. I could, I could, I could, I probably have some traits of the integrator role, but I detest it. Ooh. I detest it. Entrepreneurs by definition, 99% of the time are visionaries. I would, I would assume. Mm -hmm. And then the integrator is, is our operations, you know, our COOs, our, the people that keep everything locked in and keep those processes in place. So what I found once I got to these steps and I think I've, I had already like pretty much followed all these steps to get to where I was, I got so bored because it was a system and I wanted to tinker with it and I wanted to change it and I wanted to enhance it. I wanted to improve it. And that was very frustrating for my operations manager and my team. So that was another reason why I stepped away as much as I did because I was getting frustrated too, because I would look at things and I would constantly want to tweak it and change it by nature. I think that's what a visionary is and somebody that wants to take the systems and improve them. So what do you suggest once the owner does get to that place where they're able to you know, be more strategic and they have a system in place and they have the processes, how do they fight against their nature like me? Like what, what are some suggestions? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, Ultimately, I guess it comes down to like what your purpose is and how could we help? I mean, my purpose, I guess, is to help to help firm owners, you know, live a better life, you know, and Mm -hmm. to help advance the accounting profession. So there's so many things. There's so many ideas. Like, I'm sure you have no shortage of ideas. So like, how could you bring more of those ideas to life? Like everything's running super smoothly. We have the core operation in place. Everything's humming along. So then that's where you get to actually bring some of your other ideas to life to help, you know, advance your purpose. Yeah. I found that my, it became bigger than my firm and that's why I stepped away. And that's why I started doing this because I wanted to have a larger impact across the profession and not just my clients and higher leverage things to me was the one to many. And, and I still very loosely defining what I'm doing. 
I don't know what accounting high is going to be. I, well, actually, I do now, M- much more now, much more so now than I did when I first came up with the idea. But very similar, you know, moving the profession forward and having an impact. For me, at least, it's fun. Fun is always part of it. That's why we did the tournament. That's why we do all those things. But I think for for anybody listening and anybody that's looking to get there, you got to look at what brings you joy. You know, to to find that purpose. What are the things that spark your that ignite your fire and that gets you get you excited about life or about work or about just the interactions? For me, it was always people. Mm-hmm. And smiles and laughter, like that's that's always what it's been about. So, you know, how do you do that? And look at your interests and look at the things that you're passionate about too. And we've we've talked about this a lot. But for you, how did you find that? How did you find your purpose? It just came through a very very frustrating experience where when I was running my firm, you know, I thought of my purpose like when I started my firm was more about like how could I make accounting more. How could I remove the pain that accounting had on small business owners? Because I recognize accounting is something super painful. And that's why I started the firm to be an online firm at a time when nobody was running online firms or virtually nobody in North America. So that's why I kind of started it the way I did. And then I just said, okay, let's get into client acquisition mode and let's get into like bring more team members on board. And I just got wrapped up in the business myself. And then, you know, at a certain point, other firms started approaching to like acquire or merge or partner and all these different possibilities came about. And I was just really, really confused about what to do. Mm. And I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I didn't know what was the best avenue. And I was just thinking like I had spreadsheets with uh, or like Google Docs or Word documents with like pros and cons list and trying to attach a point system and, you know, really just going crazy for like a good, I don't know, six months trying to figure out like what was next for me. And then really when it, I got down to kind of like, I just took a step back and I, I asked myself, okay, like what, what do I really enjoy doing the most? Why did I start my firm like this in the first place? And you know, what came about is I was just frustrated with the accounting profession. I was frustrated with the lack of support that our professional bodies provide to firms to like the traditional firm is not a good model anymore. And we don't get the support we need to actually convert that model into something more modern that improves our lifestyles. Like it's not a healthy thing for three months a year or four months a year or whatever it is to like work 80 hours a week and work nights and work weekends, like most firm owners and partners do. And like the stress levels are just increasing tremendously these days. I don't know what's, what's the cause of that, but like everyone I speak to that's like in a more, one of these traditional firms or even most firms I speak with, like people are breaking down like never before, you know, I'm just seeing like, it's, it's, it's terrible. So Uh, This is a roundabout way of saying that I was able to discover through that very frustrating process when I took a step back that my purpose was really to help advance the accounting profession and help other firms in their journey to accelerate their results to a more modern firm that better serves their lifestyle that's not full of crazy nights and weekends and 80-hour work weeks. So that's what I wanted to do. And when that became clear, you know, the acquisition of, of, of Zen Accounting happened very, very quickly. So are you still very frustrated with the profession? 
I am. I am. I, I mean, it's good for business because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if the, if, you know, our professional bodies would actually help support firms like this, I'd probably be out of business or, you know, wouldn't it be 700 plus members, maybe be a hundred or 200 or whatever it is, you know, but like, I just don't see it changing. I just, I really don't. Like I, I do like these public vents on like, or like whether that's you professional do. or not, yeah. like every so often I'll have a vent about how our professional bodies aren't just, you know, doing what they need to be doing. And it, it is what it is. Well, the profession needs you to do that because you only can improve if you point out the weaknesses and you point out these frustrations because a lot of people have them. And this is not the ideal future state of the profession. The state that we're in is not ideal. And you're right. There is the traditional firm model needs to change. The book that we're writing at Accounting High is called How to Wrap. And it's how to run an accounting practice. So it's going from map to wrap. You know map, right? So... Ron's helping with the book too. He's calling it, he's calling his section or the forward from map to wrap running an accounting practice is just a funny way because I, I do the wraps, but there's, there is a modern way. And I think what's contributing to the burnout and to the stress is also what's going to be contributing to the future state of it. And it's the technology, it's the changes, it's the cloud, it's the automations, it's AI. All of those things I think are causing us to get burnt out because we're so attached to everything and we're constantly tweaking and changing and getting new apps and changing these apps. But I think the ideal future state is these are the savior. This is the save what's going to save us in the profession as we work toward th that future state. And we do have an ideal firm that's working for us and the people in the firm are creating the relationships. And you talk about this a lot, but you know, I, I don't know exact how we get there, Besides time, you know, time is going to eventually things are going to start to level out, I guess. Like, think about this. One year ago today, we didn't know what chat GPT was. We didn't know what AI was yet. That's what, all we're talking about now. And last year we were talking about crypto and Bitcoin and the blockchain. And then the year before that, we were talking about cloud and, and other, you know, other types of no code and 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 things so what's next you know next year i don't even know i mean i don't even know <laughs> i mean it's just accelerating i mean we're more efficient than ever before but I'd we're like more stressed and we're working we're more, more than, ever than ever before that's exactly it so i mean i don't know like are the two related are they not like probably and it's just gonna get worse or better you know, or better. I, I like to try to be optimistic because I think there is light at the end of this tunnel. We're seeing that, but it also means that we're going to need less people too. So the profession Maybe. is shrinking and there's, there's people leaving the profession, but I think that might be okay if we start getting the right people entering it again. I think that we have a lot of waste in what we're doing because we can automate a lot of the, uh, the processes and a lot of the tasks, a lot of the simple tasks. That's one of my other wrap. We can automate a lot of those things which means that we have a lot of unused or labor that we're using that we can repurpose or that we don't need anymore too. I think the ideal future state is going to be more advisors and we're going to go back to that working with clients directly and to get there, I don't know. And I don't know how long it takes to get there, but it's going to be a lot of change and a lot of burnout and a lot of frustration along the way. And we're in the middle of that right now. And I think that's why, you're so frustrated 
because the change is happening so frequently and there's some people that are just digging their heels in and not wanting to change anything. And there's still, you know, still people that haven't adopted the cloud. And yeah, I'm not there to engage in that kind of change management, truthfully. I mean, no. that, you know, like, yeah, I, that's not, that's not what I do. That's not what I help with. Like if people recognize they want to make improvements, then that's where I kind of, that's where I kind of come in. And, you know, like, yeah, like you said, you want to keep things positive. Like, I think for a lot of people, the, the acceleration of technology, it's going to make, it's going to make it worse for a lot of people. But that's why, you know, a lot of what we're discussing today is highly applicable because it's, it's about being intentional and it's about like, like changing how we think of things and changing our mentality. I think that's going to be mindset the important shifts. thing, the mindset shifts that we make. I think that's going to be very, very important. You know, people are all thinking about like, how do I make use of chat GPT and AI and what's like the most efficient and effective way, but we're just going to accelerate more of what we're doing at the moment and more of how we're feeling. And a lot of people aren't just, aren't feeling great. It's like going straight to step five and Correct. not working on the other four prior Correct. to that. You know, if you're just trying to automate the things that you're doing, they may not be the right things anyway. Correct. So this, this is really important episode and I appreciate you sharing all this because this is, this is great. You know, setting the foundation and figuring out how to get there and how to get to a, a path toward the pursuit of happiness because you're not going to get there in three years either. I mean, if things are, I mean, you might be able to get there in three years. I think three years is a very good timetable mm -hmm. regardless. It's a long time, but you know, if somebody's in the state where they're just ready to throw their hands up and quit, you know, what are, what's the first step? Go find Future Firm Accelerate. That could be one. Absolutely. I mean, that's a no brainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that is, I mean, getting support from other people, you know, there's a lot of communities out there, you know, there's LinkedIn groups, there's free groups and there's paid groups, you know, find the sure. community where you think you can get some support. Other people are going through exactly what you're going through. Obviously, I'm biased towards future from Accelerate, but the first step is really if you're if you want to kind of like grow the firm, systematize the firm so that you can step back from it and increase the amount of freedom you have. The first step always comes down to packaging and pricing, getting that right. If you don't get that right, everything else falls apart. So that's really step one. And there's a lot of free resources on uh, our blog, podcast, newsletter. If you just go to futurefirm.co. That's so dope. And what are the steps you're going to take to win next year's ABC tournament? I'm going to slow roll it. I think it. you could win it. I definitely I'm think slow you could roll win it, it and not promote it in the first few weeks and then go. And then on the final weeks, that's when you make a push. When the matchups really count. And who knows? <laughs> the competition could be fierce next year. It could, could be. be a bunch of juggernauts that have made it. I, there was a lot of people that didn't make the tournament that probably could have went pretty far too. I know Thrival didn't make it in there. He probably could do pretty good. I know Woodard yep. didn't make it in. He could probably do pretty good too. So next year we're in for a treat. The tournament's going to be dope. We know that you'll stay quiet like Stats did until it really matters. That was probably, yeah. Did you hear the rap that I did for the tournament at the end? Maybe, I probably maybe did. Yeah. I gave you a shout out on there, but it talked about you running out of batteries. So yeah, that running might out have of battery to the, yeah. the Lozanna's papers. Yeah, I read mm -hmm. it. I, I heard it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this tournament. I hope it's going to be great next year. I mean, I know it will 
I don't know what the uh, I, don't, I don't know what the plan is. We're going to make a lot of changes and, and do a lot of changes. I think what you're doing, you proved this as as we got to the later rounds. You know, it's it's. I wanted to do an episode about habits. I think you have a lot of great habits, and I think we talked about a lot of that here. At least we didn't go too deep into it, but I think that's what it takes too is finding the right routines and habits to keep perspective and to keep things from getting off the rails. That's one thing I've learned throughout. I had a lot of great habits last year that I was tracking. This year I'm not, and I'm not in as good of a place. I'm more erratic and spontaneous, and it's good sometimes, but it's also not consistent. So what we'll do, Scott, we'll have another one of these when you're ready, and I got to jump off though. Yeah, me too. But I appreciate you coming on. I was just trying to wrap it up. It's hard for me to wrap things up. Thanks for coming on. I'm going to outro us out, and uh, we'll be good. Thank you very much. Peace out.